you're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm in the Middle in chronological order. Today we're talking about Billboard, which originally aired February 15th, 2005, was directed by Brian Cranston, and written by Rob Eulin. Hi, I'm Jake, and I want respect. And I'm David, and... Oh, good God, I thought it was a metaphor. (laughs) But before we get into this week's episode, we have our community segment where we have some poll results. Uh, Looking back on Lois versus Jamie, which for that episode, we have uh, continued our agreeable streak as we both chose Francis as least shitty kid for, uh, you know, uh, helping Lois at his own expense as he, like, relived all of these traumatic childhood memories. Poor Francis. <laughs> and the internet agreed with us with Francis getting 66% of the vote with a lone vote going to Reese and a lone vote going to Dewey. Interesting. Uh, Then for shittiest kid for the episode, after uh, discussing whether we wanted to include Jamie or not, we ended up deciding that we shouldn't. And we both chose Reese as shittiest kid for giving Jamie energy drinks (laughs) amongst some more uh, typical Reese shenanigans. Shenanigans. That's that's a word for it. (laughs) And... Uh, the internet also agreed with us on that one, as Reese won with 80% of the vote, with, uh, Malcolm getting the only dissenting vote. Which, uh, does make sense, as he did, you know, film Reese lighting himself on fire under a pile of rubble. Right, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I can see that choice. Yeah, yeah, same. (laughs) weird but uh that wraps up our poll results uh i do want to say thank you as a couple people have uh like been in touch to uh like throw some ideas at us for the uh post malcolm in the middle era uh that'll be uh coming up so i did want to say thank you to those of you who have done that and uh let you know uh that we're uh still uh open to ideas so if you have anything you want us to cover go ahead and send them our way we do appreciate it Absolutely we do. And with that, let's get to this week's episode. We have a cold open in which Hal finds a piece of paper in Jamie's crib. And he, like, pulls it out and looks at it and is amazed uh, because it is almost legible. It has letters and even a few complete words. He says that it's a... you know, uh, not not intelligible what he's trying to say, but this is still amazing. He's a genius. That's right. He sure is. And at that point, Reese walks in and takes it away from him saying, hey, there's my homework. <laughs> and as Hal and Lois like look at him in shock at how awful his writing is, uh, he just replies with what? I do my homework sometimes. oh i love it and getting into the episode proper we only have one plot line this time yes but and i think that you have named this one plot line the f plot for feminism (laughs) now see jake i knew you were gonna guess that one so i didn't go with that (laughs) 
But David, a... we always start with the F plot. <laughs> so I thought about that, but I was like, no, Jake will guess it right away. I named this the T plot for Twitter. Because where else are you going to go when you want to falsely stand up for something in order to avoid getting in trouble? Fair enough, I suppose. <laughs> and this plotline starts uh, with everyone in the car, uh, which is, like, packed full of stuff. And Malcolm, like, turns to camera and explains that every six months they take a trip to the outlet store. And that is where they get their clothes, as they have the cheapest irregulars. <laughs> Which, uh, Dewey, like, looks down at the, uh, shirt that's, like, apparently just been bought for him, uh, and asks if it was made in a country where people aren't symmetrical. <laughs> Man. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, part of me is like, ah, Dewey, be grateful, but also... I grew up with those types of clothes. I get it. I remember what it's like. Yeah, we never <laughs> did this, but it was a lot of secondhand clothes. Oh, it was all secondhand, bro. All of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, it was the worst. And, like, I'm not trying to shit talk my parents because, like, they did the best they could with what they had. But, god damn, man. Like, oh. And sometimes you could tell who. You know what I mean? Like. Without being too graphic or gross, like, some things don't wash out. Let me put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, most of the time for us, it wasn't even, like, bought from secondhand shop. Like, secondhand, it was usually, like, another person we knew who had kids gave us uh, clothes. All the time. All the time. Oh, it was the worst. The worst. I hated it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Like, thank God my parents were never the people who gave us, like, secondhand underwear that I'm aware of. But, uh, socks, which have always grossed me out. Like, wearing other people's socks. I, ugh. We were forced to do that all the time as kids. Yeah, so that, that, that was, like, the two things that, like, it, it was the rule, like, we, we wouldn't do, like, secondhand was always socks and underwear. Yeah, wish my parents had heard that rule. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, their discussion about uh, this, uh, you know, outlet store is, like, interrupted as all of the guys notice that there is a large billboard for a strip club uh, that just has, like, a woman in underwear with the words, the strip club. <laughs> this very inventive naming convention. I mean, it's a good name. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've been saying it for years, Jake. What happened to truth in advertising? Exactly. <laughs> and uh, they all, including Jamie, like, uh, stare open-mouthed at this billboard. And uh, Lois says, oh my god, and Hal, assuming he's been caught... And is being scolded. Turns to Lois and says, No, I wasn't. You're very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Lois didn't even notice the billboard. She was reacting in shock to, like, another billboard advertising uh, cheap paper towels at another outlet store. <laughs> Ugh. That's not the most relatable thing ever. 
<laughs> my wife gets mad at me if her Christmas presents aren't on sale. Like, <laughs> fair. And uh, when she asks what's wrong with all of the guys in the car, uh, Hal says we were all just admiring those that paper towel deal. You're not the only one who appreciates a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hal. <laughs> then at home, the boys are all watching uh, TV, and Lois walks in. And picks up the remote and turns it off. And when they complain, she uh, tells them that, you know, uh, they, they need to find something else to do. That the TV is ruining their imagination. Hal chimes in saying, uh, you know, it's a nice Saturday. Uh, you could go out and go for a, a walk. Uh, or roll a hoop. Or start a rock collection. Boom. Three ideas in five seconds. <laughs> you should be ashamed of yourselves. <laughs> yeah, what kind of loser has a rock collection? Coin collections are where it's at. Uh, That's what that the cool kids do. No, no, Jake. No. <laughs> no, they don't. I have bad news for you. They don't. But they start lecturing them about how, you know, someday they'll have a job and children and they'll wish that they had nothing to do with their time. The lecturing finally gets them to leave. That was super relatable scene to me, by the way, because that was always my, like, my parents very much so had the disciplinarian, like, split that Hal and Lois do. Mom was the actual disciplinarian. Dad was just the one that would talk to you and then make you feel guilty about everything you've done in your life. Oh, it was the worst. Listen, if Dad started lecturing, you found any reason to get out of it. You, about halfway through, you were like, just hit me. Like, just beat me, please. It'd be faster. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it hard cuts from Lois and Hal talking about how, you know, it's good for the kids to use their imagination to the boys using their imagination. <laughs> As they have made their way to the strip club billboard with spray paint. And Malcolm turns to camera and says, you know, as much as I hate to admit it, Mom was right, and she really pushed us to do something with our imaginations. <laughs> uh, uh, yikes. And Malcolm and Dewey start discussing what they want to, you know, spray paint on this billboard as they're uh, discussing uh, a giant fart cloud and uh, stuff like that. But meanwhile, uh, Reese is already... Uh, well, like, gone off to the side and started. Uh, which we have, uh, our first in a while, uh, widescreen, uh, creating, like, continuity error. As it's very clear, like, when they, uh, like, first get there before restarts doing anything, that what he, uh, supposedly puts is already on the billboard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, like, halfway through their conversation about what they should do, Malcolm, like, you know, realizes that he's hearing the sounds of, a uh, spray paint. And he goes over to see what Reese is doing. And Reese has, like, a speech bubble uh, coming out that says, I want R. And he explains it's going to say, I want Reese. Well, you know that's what she's thinking. <laughs> they, uh, like, starts to argue about this. Uh, and, you know, talking about how they have a short time before the lights come on. And uh, Malcolm points out that, you know, if he puts his name on it, everyone's going to know it's them. But Reese says, you know, uh, we're miles away from home. No one knows who we are. It'll be fine. 
And as they're having this argument, one of the, like, uh, lids for uh, one of these spray paint cans falls, and it It's the lands, whole can, it's not just the lid. But it lands on the hood of Lois's car as she has gone back to the store with the good deal on the paper towels. And she is, like, dragging a giant thing of paper towels behind her. And she looks up and immediately knows that it's the boys and uh, starts yelling... I uh, ask you now, boys, what are you doing up there? <laughs> Which causes them all to, like, step away from the ledge and, like, press themselves against the billboard, like, as far out of sight as they can get. Reese tries to, uh, get out of it by uh, thro throwing on a fake accent. Uh, yeah. And, uh, say that, uh, they are not the boys that she's looking for. <laughs> and... Uh, as soon as he says that, the lights come on very clearly, lighting them up, making them visible to everyone. And it was very apparent that these are the droids. Exactly. <laughs> and Malcolm gets an idea, and uh, he asks Reese for his knife, which Reese says, Sure, but if you miss, it's only going to make her matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, Malcolm, like, goes over... Uh, to, like, the grate uh, that you have to, like, push aside to, like, come up to the billboard, and he puts the knife through it, locking it. Then he takes the spray paint and finishes Reese's sentence, but instead of saying Reese, uh, it now says, I want respect. And Malcolm declares that they are here protesting this offensive billboard because they all think that it's offensive to women. <laughs> Which Lois just looks up and says, what? <laughs> and it cuts to the boys and Reese just turns to Malcolm and says, what? <laughs> it's a very Reese moment. And uh, Lois like yells up at them that, you know, no one's going to believe their nonsense. They need to get down there. But like a few women who are like in the parking lot, you know, hearing this, start cheering the boys on. Then... Uh, the, when we come back, there is now, like, a full group of, uh, like, supportive protesters there, uh, like, below the billboard, cheering the boys on, along with the police. And Lois is talking to a police officer, like, explaining why he's not going to, like, go up there and drag the boys down like she wants, saying that, you know, there's, uh, special rules for dealing with political protesters, uh, which Lo Lois says that they uh, are not political protesters. Uh, Hal shows up late, uh, like apologizing to Lois and explaining that uh, he had a hard time finding a babysitter for Jamie. Uh, saying, did you know Jamie's on a website? <laughs> <laughs> that tracks, but it's also hilarious. And... Uh, Lois, like, uh, still trying to get this cop to, you know, get the boys down, says that, uh, you know, that they have ladders, they have people that can climb ladders, I don't see what the issue is. And he says that the issue is that it's an election year for the police commissioner. <laughs> and that they've had some not very flattering videos on the news uh, in the past few years. And he says there was the Chang case, the Jefferson case, the Rodriguez case. All he has left is the white vote. 
<laughs> so he's not going to be seen, you know, forcing these white kids off of this billboard by force. Yeah, that tracks. Uh, you're not such wrong. A, right? Like, that's it's such a horrible, correct joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. Uh, that's uh, also... Uh, where your opening line comes from is uh, Hal, upon seeing what's going on, looks up at the billboard and says, I thought it was a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> which I did think was uh, very funny. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, as Lois is like continuing to escalate her argument with this cop, Zizzy, Asks if there's anything else they can do. She tells him, yeah, you can call a cop. <laughs> Which uh, is, wow. Burn. Hal, <laughs> like, drags her away. Uh, like, telling the cop, it's not you. It's me. I have a gambling addiction. And uh, I lost our house in a game of pie shell. <laughs> God. What a man. He had that loaded in the barrel ready to go, too. He sure did. <laughs> I feel like that is not the first time that excuse has been used. And it definitely won't be the last. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Then uh, he, like, pulls Lois aside and tells her to calm down. She knows what pepper spray feels like. <laughs> which again i love the implication man there's so many lines it was so hard picking ones for this episode there's so many just awesome little one-line zingers in this episode you're not wrong and uh hal tells lois you know uh we'll just wait for the crowd to disperse and then we can go up there and we can get the boys with no problem and of course the crowd then grows as it's, like, much larger, and now there are a bunch of reporters there, you know, filming everything going on. Naturally. And they try to come over to Hal and Lois uh, to interview them. Uh, Lois just immediately says no comment and walks away. But, of course, Hal starts giving an interview, telling them about how he raised uh, his sons to have such strong convictions about these things. <laughs> That's right. It's really all about that clean plate glove. God damn it. That's exactly <laughs> I was about to say. Oh, <laughs> uh, it all goes back to the clean plate glove. <laughs> well, nutrition is one of the core values, David. That's right. He teaches his boys core values. Uh, oh, man. Then uh, back up on the billboard, a police officer throws a cell phone up to the boys. So that Lois can talk to them. And uh, she tells them that if they come down now, she'll give them three weeks in their room. And she'll even guarantee two meals a day and enough light to read by. <laughs> but they only have ten minutes to come down or uh, it's off the table. And she hangs up and the boys like look at each other and... Like, look shocked as they realize that she's negotiating. She never negotiates. <laughs> she's scared. <laughs> yes, they have found a weakness. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, having had this realization, Malcolm stands up and, like, uh, pulls Dewey and Reese up as well and, like, holds their hands as he 
uh, declares that they're not leaving this billboard until the oppression of women ends. And he <laughs> holds their hands up and loudly says, Women of the world unite. <laughs> and now we start the part of the plot line that is why I called this Twitter. <laughs> yes. And uh, we then see like the protesters like organizing now to help the boys. Uh, as they are, like, sending up baskets full of supplies to the boys. And Hal has, in true Hal fashion, <laughs> continues to just, uh, you know, get further and further into, uh, you know, uh, getting all of this media attention as he's, like, giving a full-on speech uh, about how he, you know, raised the boys to be feminists because he thought it was important that this country know that they still raise heroes. <laughs> oh, how. <laughs> <laughs> then the boys call Lois back on the cell phone. And initially Lois assumes that they're, you know, calling to surrender. She says that they've come in uh, just in the nick of time. They only had 30 seconds left. But Malcolm says, no, we're calling to let you know that we're not coming down. <laughs> because they've figured it out, and she's already as angry as she possibly can be. Anything that they do from here on out won't make her any angrier. That's right. <laughs> so they're just going to stay up here and enjoy their freedom for as long as they possibly can. Boy, do I remember thinking things similar to that at times as a kid? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Lois tells him that, you know, uh, a lifetime is a long time. Are you sure you want to do this? And Malcolm says, well, that's the nice thing about being young. We don't think that far ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he tells her that uh, they've all learned a valuable lesson. About the uh, ephemeral nature of power. <laughs> then uh, as they like wrap up their conversation, uh, Lois like stares up at the billboard and she catches Dewey's eyes. <laughs> and like hypnotizes him <laughs> from below. <laughs> and suddenly Dewey in like a very monotone voice just starts saying, it's starting to get cold. I think we should go down. Oh, uh, dude, that was the greatest thing ever. It made me laugh so hard. It's it's very much like Greek siren-esque <laughs> what's happening here, and I love it. And Reese has to, like, grab Dewey by the shoulder and, like, shake him out of it, saying, don't look in her eyes. <laughs> uh, which also implies he knows what's going on there, too. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. Then uh, down below, uh, Hal is once again talking to a reporter, telling a story about, you know, his hardworking mother. And uh, he is interrupted as a woman named Wendy shows up and says that uh, she saw him on the news. And uh, after all these years, I didn't think that it could be you, but you just kept talking and talking. <laughs> And I realized it must be Hal. <laughs> and uh, Hal, like, pulls her aside, like, away from everyone and starts, like, apologizing, saying, you know, I, I know things didn't end well between us. Uh, but Wendy tells him that uh, 
There were promises made, and you're going to keep them. I'm not going to go away now that I found you. <laughs> Hal, seeing Lois, like, coming towards them, pushes Wendy into a news van that she was standing in front of, closes the door and, like, starts to walk away, trying to guide Lois away as well. And uh, Lois tells Hal that she has a new plan to get the boys down. And they go over to one of the protesters who's, like, preparing a gift basket for them. And Lois is, like, pretending to be happy about it as she's, like, looking at, you know, what they're sending up. And she opens up the basket and sees three cupcakes with cherries on top. And as she's talking, she, like, swipes cherries off of two of the cupcakes. Uh, then we see these cupcakes, like, being delivered... Uh, as the boys are finishing the banana bread and comparing which feminist organization makes the better banana bread. <laughs> and uh, then they, like, open up this basket uh, with the cupcakes, and Reese reaches in and immediately takes the one with the cherry on top out, uh, which, of course, as Lois had predicted, starts to immediately make them turn on each other. <laughs> as Dewey, like, instantly asks, you know, why do you get the one with the cherry on it? And Reese says that he didn't even notice there was only one with a cherry on. He just grabbed one. And Malcolm, like, butts in saying, hey, I want the one with the cherry, too. That's right. Why shouldn't he have it? <laughs> yes, and uh, Reese accuses them of only wanting it because he has it. And they, like, starts to get into this argument. Then Malcolm gets a look of realization on his face as he says, wait, why did they only send up one with a cherry on it? This is mom. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, he's not wrong. And, uh, he takes the cherry, like, off of the top of the cupcake, and once again, like, stands up and gives a speech to the crowd below, saying that some people may try to drive a wedge between them, but they will stand in unity together. <laughs> and he drops the cherry, which lands, like, directly in front of Lois, who just looks at it and says, Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I do enjoy that little bit. I love Lois in this episode. <laughs> we come back and uh, Malcolm is like talking to camera, explaining that, you know, it's great up here, that anything they need is being given to them, uh, that they've been given uh, coats and books to read and food uh, and everything else. Everything. And then it like pans over to show uh, their like improvised bathroom, <laughs> which is... Pretty clearly just, like, a bucket uh, with, like, a tarp <laughs> for privacy. <laughs> and uh, Reese, like, sends down a bag of poop saying they, they uh, should probably stop sending them bran muffins. <laughs> That's fair. And uh, meanwhile, Dewey is reading the books that they sent up, and when Malcolm asks how they are, he says that the uh, feminist joke book was kind of ham-fisted, but these fairy tales are pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> And he explains that the uh, version of Cinderella that he just read uh, has Cinderella telling the prince that he's draining her womanly energy and pushing her aside to form a matriarchy uh, with fluid gender roles throughout the whole kingdom. Uh, the covers are pretty great, too. <laughs> they are. <laughs> and Reese is, like, looking down at everyone, and he says, uh, Can you believe that these cows think that we actually support them? And he, like, points out one and says, Oh, look at that pig! And Dewey says that, you know, you shouldn't talk about them like that. They've been really nice. 
And Malcolm points out that, you know, that they actually believe in this stuff that they're pretending to believe in for their own benefit. <laughs> and Reese, uh, says that, uh, that's bullcrap. He doesn't believe that they do. He thinks that they're all just jealous of the stripper on the billboard. Because they all wish that they could be strippers. That's right. Every single woman. They all want to be a stripper. And Malcolm says, even mom? Reese says, we're not talking about moms, we're talking about women. Then, <laughs> uh, as, uh, like, like, Reese goes on this, like, sexist tirade, both Malcolm and Dewey say that they're gonna go sleep on the other side of the billboard away from Reese. And Reese, like, lays down alone and calls them both whipped. Then, uh, once again, going down below the billboard, there's a folk singer. Uh, like, singing a song that he has composed about Malcolm, Dewey, and Reese, uh, comparing them to, like, great civil rights leaders. <laughs> and, uh, Hal is, like, sneaking around, like, behind where they're gathered, uh, like, listening to this song. Because he is, uh, still, you know, trying to hide, uh, from Wendy, who's, like, looking around for him. <laughs> then, uh, back up on the billboard, Reese... Uh, has a dream uh, about the stripper on the billboard who, throughout this dream, remains the size she is on the billboard. Because <laughs> it's just Reese in, like, a pink void with this giant woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, there was some uh, Resident Evil stuff very <laughs> buried in here. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> That's dude. That's all I could think about when I was. Uh, oh man, Reese would have loved the newest Resident Evil. <laughs> <laughs> we do get a glimpse into Reese's very specific fetish here. <laughs> uh, this uh, giant woman like uh, leans down and gives Reese a kiss, which like covers his entire face in lipstick, and they like start having a conversation uh, as Reese uh, first. Uh, Asks her if she'll take her giant bra off, and she says only if he has giant dollar bills. Which <laughs> <laughs> uh, Reese says he'll uh, he'll get some for her if she uh, comes back uh, every night, which she promises to do. And when Reese says that you know uh, she's so much better than uh, real girls because the girls at his school won't even talk to him. Uh, he asks, you know, uh, why are they so different? And she says it's because uh, she's not real. <laughs> she's 60 feet tall with 5-inch thick skin. No matter how creepy and insensitive he is, he can't hurt her. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I found the perfect woman for me. <laughs> then uh, she explains to Reese that, you know, she is a sexy dream that he came up with to help him cope with the fact that he's going to spend his entire life alone. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Reese, like, uh, says, uh, but that's not for sure, right? And she says, but that's not even the worst thing. The worst thing is that this dream is going to end before you can even think of anything good to do with me. <laughs> And uh, Reese pleads for her to stay as she disappears as he starts to wake up. <laughs> then, back down below, Lois is now talking to the police commissioner. Uh, she's, like, ranting about how this isn't a political protest, that the boys up there don't believe any of the things that they're saying. 
uh, and that, you know, he needs to just get up there and uh, take them down. If she, if she needs to sign anything for liability, she will. <laughs> and uh, the commissioner just asks, do I look concerned? <laughs> and Lois says, yeah, I guess. And he says, that's good. My handler says I couldn't pull it off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> and... He tells Lois that he would love nothing more than to drag them down and crack some skulls. But it's an election year and everyone has to make sacrifices. God. Then uh, he, like, turns away from Lois and, uh, like, starts talking to the news about how this reminds him of his time as a freedom rider. Then, uh... One of the, like, protest organizers comes over to Lois and, like, very happily tells her that they got an injunction, uh, that the boys are now going to be able to stay up there for days or even weeks for this protest. That's and right. Lois has another idea as she walks over to the, like, group of reporters and tells them, I have something I want to say. And she goes on camera and says that she's very proud of her boys taking a stand and she's so happy that the police commissioner is letting them stay up there despite the wind and the cold and little dewey's medical condition <laughs> she says she's so happy to have a police commissioner who's willing to stand up for what's right even if it means rolling the dice on a diabetic coma for poor Dewey. Oh, man. <laughs> and upon hearing this, uh, and clearly not wanting to, you know, ha have a medical issue turn this into a uh, debacle for him, the police commissioner sends uh, some police officers to grab the boys. And Get them they... down now! <laughs> <laughs> and then we, we see them uh, being raised up, and uh, Dewey, like, wakes up from sleep and just sees, like, the face of this cop poking over. And he, he like, screams and jumps. <laughs> and, and, like, ends up, like, uh, huddled up against the uh, billboard stripper's bosom. Then, uh, down below as the boys are, like, being grabbed, Wendy finds Lois and uh, asks, are you Hal's wife? And when she says yes, uh, Wendy says, uh, there's something I need to tell you about your husband used to work together years ago and uh hal got her drunk and borrowed four hundred dollars that's right proceeded to fake his own death <laughs> to get out of paying her back she saw the what did she say telephone booth I... yeah she, she says he blew up a telephone booth to get out of it that's what i thought <laughs> oh man like Wow, Hal. <laughs> I mean, look, he's the master of, you know, destroying old lives to take on new identities, David. That is true. The very Hal thing to do. It is. Who'd have seen it coming? Oh, yeah, <laughs> us. Exactly. <laughs> and as the boys are being, you know, forced to come down by these police officers, the crowd is booing, and uh, Reese tells them that... Uh, They'll come down, you know, if they're being made to, but he has something he wants to say. He says that, uh, you know, being up there, he realized something. Uh, and that's that, uh, you know, that the stripper on this billboard is beautiful and perfect, but she's not real. And 
Uh, all of these other women are real, and if he was real, then he would want people to listen to what he has to say. And he's realized that women aren't that different from regular people. <laughs> they they uh, just want the same things as men do, but men don't have to hold these big protests to get them. And uh, once they're, like, brought down, Dewey is immediately rushed off to an ambulance <laughs> with Hal. And Dewey, like, turns to Hal and asks, what's going on? And uh, before Hal can explain, he, like, notices that Wendy has seen him and is headed his way. So he immediately says, he's fading, and, like, puts an oxygen mask on him, like, pushes him into the ambulance, getting in with him to try to get away from Wendy. Oh, Hal, how you're past keeps haunting you everywhere and uh meanwhile lois is like walking with uh malcolm and reese as she like tells a reporter that she can't wait to get the boys home to tell them what she really thinks about what happened here tonight <laughs> and she turns to uh malcolm and says that gives me six hours to think up how to punish you and then she turns to reese and says and reese i'm still thinking about what to do with you <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> and that wraps this episode up, so let's go to our awards. Yeah. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Awards. And as usual, we will start with our Roller Skating Keen Award, our award for the best visual moment. What did you have for this one, David? Oh, I'm so glad I get to go first. So I had a backup, but... The lowest stair scene where she's just like, it's just the camera panning back and forth between a mystified Eric Persullivan and Jane Kesmerick with this very like stereotypical mom stare. So good. I love it so much. <laughs> and it's so believable. Uh, fair enough. That was actually my backup. <laughs> but I ended up giving my award. Uh, to my favorite of the picket signs, as there, there's obviously like a, with, you know, this big protest, a lot of picket signs. And my personal favorite is go lap dance with Satan. I, ah, oh, <laughs> dude, I thought that's what that one said. Ah, uh, dude, there were so many funny, like just stereotypical picket signs there. That's pretty funny. There were. <laughs> then uh moving on to our next award which of these did you give the hot dog with mustard award the award for the best lie man that was hard for this one like there's so many funny little things but i have to go with i think this one just because it, it it's sort of reese exhibiting some real eric behavior um we got some <laughs> paranoid delusions going on um, and it's it's reese just saying i told you she has trackers in our fillings yes but he, but he tells malcolm and dewey that they should have pulled them out like he did and she never would have found us right yes dude i i heard that i was like oh my god reese is that guy <laughs> but there's just there's so many little lines like that in this episode it was so hard to choose there are that that is one of the five that i narrowed it down to <laughs> i also had five jake <laughs> but uh i think i will go with the dewey line 
Uh, you know, except for Mom, Dad, Francis, and Jamie, I really think this has brought our family together. <laughs> uh, right? <laughs> uh, dude, that's something I could see a younger you saying. Oh, man. Like, <laughs> this is so funny. <laughs> I love Dewey. He's such a perfect angel. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, but did you love him enough, David, to choose him as your favorite character? Favorite character uh, is another one that I actually had to kind of hem and haw over a little bit. But I actually ended up giving it to Lois because I loved seeing the negotiator Lois and uh, just this sort of like, I don't know, like she portrays exactly the situation she's in, you know, like. It's like when you're in a room and there's a joke being told and, you know, you're the only one that's in on it that it's a joke, you know? Like, she's just, it's so good. And then the the sheer panic and anger as she starts to get more and more desperate and then the manipulation, it's just such a Lois move. And I, I, I don't know. This is a very good Lois episode. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. I definitely strongly considered her. Uh, but I actually ended up going with Reese. Okay. Because he has, like, some of my favorite just, like, uh, of those, like, throwaway lines. Yeah. And while it's uh, a very imperfect, uh, you know, feminist awakening he has <laughs> at the end of this episode, <laughs> it is character growth from... Like, horrifically misogynistic to less misogynistic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't disagree. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think they did a, like, a decent job with, with that. Uh, and with, like, Reese as a character. Having, having, like, a realization like that that, like, is so, like, clearly flawed and still shitty that it, like, still works for the character... <laughs> Right, it's not, it It doesn't come across as preachy in the way of, oh, this is clearly the writers talking to the audience, like you get a lot of times in more modern sitcoms. Right. This is very much so framed in a way of where it's believable that Reese would say this. Yeah, and, and it's not like the, like, sort of cop-out thing of, like, we have this sexist character we're going to, like, have them have go through like one episode's worth of stuff and now they've completely changed their ways. <laughs> no, like it's it's, right. very, it's a much more like realistic like this is a a baby step for Reese, but it is a step. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Then moving on to our next award, uh who did you give your Cloris Leachman award? Your award for the best acting. I uh, I actually gave it to Justin Burfield. Okay. <laughs> I think he did very well in this. Uh, he had a lot of uh, scenes just by himself uh, and definitely did some, uh, you know, green screen acting and such. Wait, what? <laughs> when? Yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> but especially for a, a young actor, but also just I think he does an excellent job of portraying Reese and his sort of complete ineptitude of, of being able to read a situation at all and yet still coming to this sort of uh, uh, enlightenment uh, for him. <laughs> uh, yeah, fair enough. Uh, I considered giving it to him, but I actually ended up choosing Eric Bersolovin over him. 
Fair. Mostly for like two scenes. One for that scene where he's being like hypnotized <laughs> by Lois, uh, as you mentioned, because he just does such a great job of selling that in that scene. Uh, and then also the uh, scene where, where he's like uh, reading these like feminist fairy tales. I think he does like a very good job of like conveying like, like that Dewey is like clearly being like swayed by what he's reading in these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I understand that choice. Uh, again, I think Justin Burfield, just his performance stood out a little more. But Eric Persullivan's so good in this. For sure. Then, uh, who did you give your Mrs. Dabney Award? Your award for the worst parent. Hal. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for that last scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just full on faking a medical issue for Dewey to get out of paying a woman back money that he owes. Right? Yeah. A former coworker, too. Not even just like some random. You know, like gambling debt or anything. <laughs> Between that and then using, you know, this as a way to get himself attention, like... Eh. Yeah, for, for immediately going along with their lie once it benefits him. Right, yeah. Yes. Uh, gee, I wonder where they learned this. <laughs> right. Then, uh, moving on to our next award, uh, what did you give your OK Boomer Award? Your award for the momentary detail that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. So I was going to go with the telephone booth uh, reference of Hal blowing it up, but I've used that before. So instead, I found an obscure little thing that... Is, is kind of funny to me. In the scene where Reese hands over his pocket knife and Malcolm uses it to block the, the little grate, what they're using there is an old school Boy Scout knife, which actually has been made by a couple different knife companies. I think it was made by Schrade for a while, but uh, I actually had passed down to us through my mom from our grandfather, our shared grandfather, that exact knife for a period of time in my life uh, about Reese's age. Okay. Yeah. And now I don't even think they give out knives in the Boy Scouts. No clue. But uh, not that I was a Boy Scout, but uh, I did have a Boy Scout knife. And I know my brother who was uh, in like, what do they call the, it's the Boy Scouts and then the, what, the Eagle Scouts, right? Uh, Eagle Scout is like a rank of boys. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, he was one of those. Uh, awesome. <laughs> I only know that because of Welcome to Nightmare. <laughs> <Weirdly> <laughs> enough. <laughs> Dude, what a, what a place to learn about the Boy Scouts. <laughs> but yeah, I, I had to choose that knife because, man, I, I see that, that knife and I'm instantly transported to my childhood. Uh, I knew significantly less about it, but that knife also was my first choice. <laughs> I just have it in my notes as that knife everyone had when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> had no idea that's where it came from. <laughs> well, now you do. <laughs> but uh, f for my backup, I had the like fairly obvious thing, which is like the, the representation of like feminism. And this is a very like 2005 version of representing feminism on tv yeah well you can't not make them the punchline jake yeah and I mean, they, they, <laughs> they at least like avoid doing anything like super egregious and like the the stuff at the end clearly like 
makes the case of like that they are right but there is just like a lot of the like feminist protester stereotype stuff going on yeah and also uh because it's 2005 it's uh all like seemingly straight white ladies which uh probably would not be how we would represent uh like feminist protests now now no might be it depends on if again it depends on the oklahoma versus california argument jake (laughs) fair because i feel like in oklahoma it might just be the white ladies showing up the straight white ladies i'm not saying they're all that's there i'm saying they're all the ones that would show up for something like the billboard uh yeah fair i i think if you were going to do that in a show now it would be like that would be like the point it would be about like the you know specific kind of like hypocritical like feminist right and it would like lead into that but this is just sort of this was like the public image of what that meant yeah oh yeah moving on obviously there's a no a plot of our heart this time because there's only the one plot line so uh that just leaves shittiest and least shitty kid all right who did you have as your shittiest kid david (laughs) so this award real quick uh-huh. It went from a very clear front runner uh-huh. to, okay, no, it's going to this son instead. Uh-huh. So, oh, nope, never mind. It's going back to this one. <laughs> I I had to choose Malcolm. Okay. <laughs> Listen, it started out, I was like, yep, Malcolm's being real shitty this episode. And then Reese started talking. And then, you know, he went through his little transformation. Uh, Malcolm, on the other hand, uses this as a chance to, again, sort of try to establish some sort of uh, psychological power over Lois. And he deliberately utilized a cause that he didn't actually feel any sort of connection to or have any real feelings about or even probably given any thought just to try to get out of trouble. And that's super shitty. Uh, yes, I similarly went with Malcolm. Uh, well, my, my logic for choosing him is that he's the only one who doesn't, like, seem to have any growth through the episode. Yeah. It seems like his, like, opinion on, like, feminism and, and woman, which was, like, you know, a, a more progressive view than that obviously Reese had before this, like, hasn't changed. He's still willing to use the, this uh, belief to his advantage rather than, like, to actually make a point. Whereas, like, like I said, it definitely, like, gave me the impression that, like, Dewey was, like, legitimately being swayed by, like, the feminist text that they were sending up for them to read. Well, yeah, he's he's getting educated. He's young. Yeah. And uh, obviously, like, like Reese has uh, changed, uh, as we've, uh, you know, discussed at length through this. So uh, I gave it to Malcolm. So he doesn't have, I don't think, the shittiest behavior. I still, I still think shittiest behavior would go to Reese, but he does have that element of growth, which Malcolm doesn't really seem to. Yeah, I agree. Like, it's, that's, that's the whole thing. Like, there is no... And, and Malcolm starts at a higher point than Reese. Like, <laughs> he's on the top end of the curve. Then, uh, who did you choose as least shitty kid? Uh, I had to give it to Dewey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's Dewey. He's so sweet and he's considerate. He, he, you know, tells Reese to shut up and don't talk about him that way. Like, he recognizes 
the the kindness and the actions of the the fellow protesters like he's yeah i, I do we do we best kid i 100 percent agree I, I think this is a shaping up to almost certainly be our most uh, agreeable season for these awards david right i know i someone <laughs> out there is sowing chaos i'm sure <laughs> yeah eric <laughs> yeah <laughs> speaking of which I think it's time for WTFF. It sure is, David. Because, speaking of Eric, Francis was not in today's episode. Correct. Because Francis is currently on a late night talk show circuit discussing his victorious lawsuit and all of the harassment that has been laid upon him and the slanderous accusations made against him by some guy from Illinois on the internet, and Francis has joined this modern 2000-age group that is now teaching people about internet safety and how to protect yourself from trolls on the internet. Excellent, excellent. Good for you, Francis. That's right. I'm glad to hear you won that case. Yeah, he's literally a hero right now. That hero Francis, I think we can all agree. Yeah, 100%. Known hero, Francis. That's right. Known hero, Francis. But uh, moving along to our next segment, we have the Cranston Connection, which, uh, boy, was this an easy one. <laughs> right? <laughs> because yeah. much le- sort of in the vein of, like, the reveal that he's been taking off every Friday, uh, this is clear evidence that everything we have been saying is true. <laughs> we have a clear case in which he faked his own death using, uh, you know, these extra, uh, presumably explosives and, you know, destroying this uh, phone booth, uh, much like he will multiple times later on faking his death again, <laughs> like he did when he was Walter White. That's right. <laughs> Uh, and obviously we also see, you know, one of his go-to lies cracking through the seams as he, he uh, makes up immediately on the spot with no hesitation this lie about his gambling addiction, which will be his go-to lie later on once again as Walter White in Breaking Bad. I think it's also one of his lies uh, to cover up the divorce as Hammond Druthers. I don't remember, but I feel like he mentioned something about it then, too. You know what? Let's say yes. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless of if it's true or not. All right. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, this, uh, I think this episode just, you know, clearly lays out that everything we've been saying is factual and that the Cranston connection is 100% real. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't it be? We're such stand up guys. Exactly. And, uh, you know, that this is just that, uh, indisputable piece of evidence, you know, to quell anyone's doubts that they might have. And that just leaves David's guessing game. Oh, yeah, that's a segment that I <laughs> totally hadn't thought about until just now. Shit. And uh, you did fairly well uh, this time, uh, but not great. As you uh, you thought that it would center around the boys buying their own billboard. I did. Uh, in order to, like... Put up something that was, like, meant to be, like, obscene and shocking and disgusting. 
which obviously is not what happened here. You even uh, thought of, but then dismissed the idea that they would be like spray painting a billboard. The, the, the one part that I did give you like some credit for though is uh, you thought that like instead of, uh, you know, people hating this like salacious billboard they made that like people would rally around them as like artists and love it. Which isn't what happened here, but there there was the like unintended like crowd rallying behind them, like you guessed. Yeah, yeah. So I, I did give you some credit for that, but you didn't really get any <laughs> of the major points. That's uh, fair. So I gave you a 67% on this one. Ouch, that's gonna hurt the old average. It sure will. Don't have to sound so happy about it. Uh, Why? Like any good teacher, I'm cheering for you to fail. Yeah, any good Herkabee. Exactly. He's a moral paragon, David. He's a paradigm of something. Anyways, uh, <laughs> God, I hate you. But that, that's, that's fair grade. Uh, let's see if you can do any better next week for Dewey's Opera. Huh. Dewey's Opera, huh? Yep. Okay. Dewey is gonna... I mean, we're going to see some more of Dewey's musical genius. So I think that Dewey is going to get in the opera, obviously. I mean, that's pretty duh. And I don't know. Maybe he's going to be like in an opera at school and maybe end up like rewriting or like, you know, he'll have one of those like super eccentric drama teachers or something and he'll end up like. They're called helping... drama teachers. Dave. I mean, fair, but, uh, <laughs> you know, like either helping to like write or rewrite an opera for the the show. And we're going to see more of Dewey's musical genius. But I think it's going to be tainted in some way. Like maybe he like makes it unrelatable by by like turning it into stuff about like struggles of living in the Wilkerson household. Okay. Yeah, that's the best I got. Okay, that'll do. Thank you, everyone, for listening. As always, thanks and credits to Jacob Newfeld, who does our intro and outro music. If you would like to listen to more of his music, you can find links to do so in the episode descriptions. And if you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter, where we are unfair underscore podcast, or by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com. And if you enjoy the banter back and forth here and want to join us live, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we play video games, interact with the chat, and in general, have a good time. And as always, life is unfair. Mm -hmm.